Amen, everybody. You may be seated. You know, one thing about the hymns that we will be singing is that we can do less preaching when we sing the hymns because they're so rich in theology. And so, you know, um, I think sometimes some of the newer music that we do uh, sing, if we're not careful, it's me-centric. It's all about me and what Jesus has done for me and how great he is to me and how I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm saved and he, he helps me. I think some of these things that just need to draw attention to the beauty and the glory of God and forget about us. Galatians 6.14, I'm going to read a couple verses to you. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this has been burning in my heart now for uh, several months. It's just a redirection personally with me to all things about the cross. Out of this pursuit and at least what seems to be some spiritual awareness that God's dealing with me personally about, I just thought he's probably would deal with all of us the same way since I am one of us. And this is one of the things I love about pastoring our church is that uh, people say, well, how do you come up with sermons? I just deal with me. And as I'm dealing with me, I know you're dealing with you. And, it, and since we're kind of the same, we all got the same type of battles and struggles and concerns and realities. And, and so out of that, I share with you and this is what I am hearing from the Lord, and it is this, that the cross of Christ must become the centerpiece of our life. The cross of Christ must become the centerpiece of our life. And, I, and I'm going to unpack this, this statement now for over the next few weeks, including on Easter Sunday, I'm going to unpack this to us. I'm going to draw our attention to the cross because Jesus said those who will follow him would understand the need to carry their own cross and it would be a daily thing that they would make the cross the centerpiece of their life. Amen? Now, the Christian world, it kind of has this inkling that this is so. Um, this is why we see the cross engraved in plaques 
It's worn as jewelry, you know, around our necks, dangling on our ears. It's even inked in some people's skin. I'm not preaching against tattoos right now. <laughs> I'm just joking. If you, want to, if you want to put a tattoo on your skin, just do it. Make sure you like it because it's going to be there a while. Somebody's like, well, what is about? Don't, don't get me off track. <laughs> so the Christian world has this inkling that this is so. But many people simply treat it like it's a religious relic of the past. That it's lost its power or usefulness. It's some people around the world see it as a symbol of oppression. Not everybody likes the cross. And because people, a lot of really ugly things have been done underneath the sigil or the banner of a cross throughout human history. And the love of God and the greatest expression of what Jesus offered the world has been twisted and used in horrific ways. So I understand but it's not so. This is the reason why they're enemies of the cross. Religious oppression is real. But leave it to fallen man, right, everybody, to make the message of God an expression of hate. For Christians, the cross means everything. This is why the Apostle Paul says, you will, want, you will not find me boasting in anything except the cross. Not just a cross, because there were lots of them, lots of people crucified, but the cross, the one particular cross, the cross of Christ. He says this, nothing can be added to it. There's no supplement that can be substituted for it. The cross is necessary for life. Listen, apart from the death of Christ on a cross, sinners get nothing but judgment. A cross, apart from the cross of Christ, there's only condemnation. Everything that you and I enjoy that we have from God Every blessing that comes our way, everybody listen, it comes through this horrifically, excruciating, excessively humiliating death of Christ on this cruelest of all forms of death, I think, this Roman crucifixion. All of your blessings here, Past, future, all of those blessings were purchased for you on the cross. And we love it because we're loved by it. His expression of love on the cross for us, this bloody love-stained cross is what brought us life. And I want to remind you that your freedom cost Christ his life. 
And the cross must be the centerpiece of our life. It is not an idol. It is not a piece of jewelry. It's not a relic of the past. It is a revelation of the goodness and the grace of God and His mercy to people who deserve judgment. It's the cross. Listen, everybody. His surrender to the cross purchased our freedom. This is sermon number one on the cross. It's on the screen behind you. His surrender to the cross purchased our freedom. His cross, our freedom. His pain, our healing. His agony, our joy. His surrender to the cross purchased it all. And according to Christ and this incredible revelation, his cross has become our cross. It is our cross to bear, to live with daily. So over the next few weeks, I hope that you would just buckle up. I hope that you'll just be present. I hope that you'll ask God to increase your capacity to receive this revelation because I'm expecting it to change your life. I'm expecting it to draw us all closer to God. I'm expecting it to give us confidence and to bring us into more freedom and to deliver us from the addictions and the savage attacks of sin and our life because he purchased our freedom. Why shouldn't we live in our, in our freedom? Why shouldn't we be free, everybody? There is a, his cross, our cross, there's a union, there is a identification, there's a connection that Jesus all, Jesus predetermined that we would have with him and his cross. This is why Paul really got this revelation and he taught it with incredible, incredible wisdom and powerful revelation. This is why he says, when Christ was crucified, I died with him. When he was buried, I I was buried with him. And when he arose, that meant I was risen with him. That's powerful That's incredible, and we haven't grasped the true meaning of that. I haven't, you haven't, but we're going after it. This is why he says we're crucified with Christ, and the person that I was doesn't live anymore, but Christ now has taken over this vessel, and now he lives through me. He lives in me, and I live it based on the faith of the Son of Christ, the faith that he had. I'm in Christ. It's an incredible union. I'm going to talk about this further, but I'll just give you a taste of this. You know, on Friday night, I was in, uh, on Kentucky Lake in, uh, in Kentucky with Army Bass Anglers, and the storms were coming through, and uh, it's 1.30 in the morning, and I'm asleep because I've get, I get got to get up at 4.00. And uh, Carrie is texting me. Well, I have learned that I, if I get a particular 
alarm from Carrie on her text, which only, it's only her sound, her ringtone, that I'm going, I'm going to wake up and listen. And at 1.30, as soon as I heard it, I, my heart exploded. Not literally, but my emotions woke up. I knew storms were coming through. They shut down Benton, Kentucky, where we were. They just had a tornado, devastating tornado there last year. And so that whole, that whole community, also I was near Fort Campbell where they had another helicopter crash and those people were hurting. The, the military guys there that I was with were hurting. They're all, they're all in this sense of, of dread and, and Carrie wakes me up and she's in the storm shelter and she says, there's a tornado on the ground in Murfreesboro. Some of you woke up, others of you slept through it. I would have been the one that would sleep through it, but Carrie never does. So we have a storm cellar. She's in it, and she's, she's texting me, and um, I'm like, do you have signals? She's like, yes. So we're on the phone together at 1.30 in the morning, and I can't be there to protect her. She's like, I wish you were here. Why aren't you here? And Grant was there. <laughs> she called Grant and said, come over. So Grant got out of his car, drove over. He would have rather slept through it, I'm sure, but he's sitting down in this little, you know, storm cellar at our house in our garage. And, uh, and Carrie's trembling in fear. And she's, I wish you were here. What could I do? I don't know. But I wish you were here. And uh, we stayed on the phone for a half hour. And I want I wanted, I wanted you to see something, everybody, because the Lord spoke to me that morning because I couldn't go back to sleep after that. The storm passed. I know some of you had some damage, and thank God we checked on everybody at Christian Life, and we found that nobody was injured in those storms, and we're really thanking God and praising God for that. When Carrie and I got married, we became one. Our hearts were knit together. She's in me. I'm in her. That is the incredible beauty of oneness. When I came to Christ, I, he lives in me. I'm in him. We are united together. When Carrie was in that storm shelter, I was in there with her. I was in Kentucky, but my heart was there. My life was there. My mind was there. Everything that mattered to me was in that cellar, in that garage, at that very moment, trembling in fear. I wasn't there physically, but I was in there spiritually connected with her because I'm in her. Through the cross, this is what happens when God puts us in relationship with him there is a union identification that's why Paul says I am crucified with Christ I am buried with him and because I am I'm risen with him there is this incredible union that is there that I just wish that we would learn how to walk in it because if we learn how to walk in this revelation we will learn how to allow the glory and the power and the wisdom and the anointing of Christ to live out of us, in us and through us. And some of the things that we keep struggling with or stumbling with 
it only happens because we are fighting for independence when Christ is saying, just stay coupled up with me. This is the power of the cross. And what I want to say to you today in just the next 10 or 15 minutes is that just as Jesus had to surrender to the cross for our freedom, so we need to surrender to our cross as followers of Christ. Today's Palm Sunday. I mean, if we follow the traditional Christian calendar, which is not that accurate, but it's okay. We, today's Palm Sunday. Today is the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He threw out branches on the ground and they shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Save us, son of David. They expected, because of all the power and the signs and the words and the rumors about who Jesus was, that he was coming to establish his kingdom on earth and that Israel would be delivered from the Roman oppression and would become the ruling nation on the earth. They expected his kingdom then. After he was arrested, they're like, where happened to all the promises? What happened to the power? And the same crowd that was shouting Hosanna and celebrating him as king on Sunday, on Friday they're screaming at the top of their lungs and saying he's an imposter so crucify him, kill him. He's not the guy. Because how could the guy be arrested and judged by Pontius Pilate if he is the hero? If he's the supernatural Messiah sent from God, how could this happen? That's where the confusion comes in around this crowd and Good Friday. What I want to talk to you about today, everybody, is just draw your attention to the battle, not of what happened on Good Friday, but what happened on Thursday. Before Friday, there had to be a Thursday. And if you look at Passion Week, it's very interesting about some of the things that happened during Passion Week. But Thursday was so significant because they were celebrating the Passover. We call it the Last Supper when Jesus was with his disciples. It was kind of just an ordinary Passover meal. And he's there with all of his disciples. But Jesus, it says of Jesus that he knew that his hour had come. You know, it's interesting to me, this whole, there's an upper room discourse that's recorded in the Gospel of John. You ought to read it. John 13 through 17. Incredible. All of those, those are five chapters in the book of John that deal just with what happened during that last supper or that Passover meal or at least that last Thursday night. It's very interesting, the things that Jesus said. And he did so many things, you know. I mean, he, he washed his uh, disciples' feet. He, he broke the bread and he instituted uh, the ordinance of communion or the Last Supper. We're going to do that on Friday, by the way. He instituted that. Um, uh, he confronted Judas, not by name, but said, you, you're here, the betrayer's here, he's going to leave. Judas got up and left. And after they had that meal, it's very interesting, uh, it was over and Jesus left with the 11 that was left and he went out of the city and some of us that went to Israel together, we know exactly where this was because we went, he went to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he left the city gate, went down into a little bit of a valley, and at the foot of Mount of Olives, there was this garden. 
And it seems that it's not really a garden. It's kind of like just an olive grove. One of the things I loved about visiting the Holy Land was the topography is basically the same as it was during the days of Christ. And so it really helps imprint on your mind. And so I was just kind of amazed. He went to this, to, to this olive grove or these old historic olive trees still exist. I don't think they date back to Christ, but they're old and ancient. And there he went to pray. It seems from scripture that this was a favorite place of prayer. And it seems like this was just a routine of Christ. And this is the reason why Judas knew exactly where to find him when he brought them for the arrest. And so there he is in the garden and he brought the 11 with him. And then he told them to stay and he took another three, Peter, James, and John, and he asked them to come pray with him. He's in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. We see Jesus up to this time very much in control, very much composed, um, not, not very emotional through the scripture. We see him almost every step and every word, every story, every action is by design. We saw him when he drove out the money changers, when you read through this, and he kind of had the wrath of God that's on him, and he corrected that because he was so offended by them making a profit when the place should be a place of prayer and ministry to others. But when you come to Gethsemane, it's found, this is Thursday, everybody, I want to read this to you. Matthew 26, verse 36, then Jesus went to this place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over and pray. And taking Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. These, by the way, in the original language, these are very, very strong words. He said that he began uh, to have a devastating experience. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Can you stay here and just watch with me? And then going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Most of us have read this narrative or heard sermons on it. So you're familiar with it, I know. And said, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you couldn't watch with me for an hour? Watch and pray that you might, may not fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again a second time he went away and he prayed, Father, I, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. It's late at night. They ate a big meal. They're tired, you know. They don't see it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to Jesus. You know why? Because he's surrendering, finally, thoroughly surrendering to the cross. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and he said, sleep, why don't you take your rest later on? See, the hour's at hand, everybody. The Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let's get going the betrayer in his hand, and you know that Judas and the Romans were there. Now, a couple of things I just want to point this out to you, because here is my message 
We've had a lot of activity in the church today, but I want to go directly to the main point of my message, is that if we are crucified with Christ and his cross is our cross, then we must surrender to the cross in the same form. Listen, before there was a Calvary, there was a Gethsemane. And, and I'm going to say this, if you're going to be a cross bearer, you're going to have to also be a Gethsemane prayer. That means before you can bear the cross, identify with the cross, before this revelation comes alive, then you must surrender your life to it. And here's what I want to show you first of all. There was something that began on Thursday night. That's what the scripture says. And he began to feel troubled and it felt like he was going to die. He began to battle alone this full surrender of not just the pain and the agony that he knew was coming, but the separation from the Father that was going to happen. He who knew no sin became sin. Literally, this holy, incredible Son of God would be everything but, because the sins of all of the world would somehow, by the will of the Father, be placed upon him as he was dying. So he would feel the ugliness, the horror, the horrific nastiness of gross immoral sin. It would be heaped upon him. The Holy Son of God, just think of your own sin. And then multiply it by billions. He would bear this. Something started to occur emotionally for Jesus that was not there before. In 2019, I was on my sabbatical and Morris Proctor came here. My good friend Morris, who passed away this year, he would stand in often for me and preach here. Many of you have heard him preach and teach through the years. And he preached a sermon. That sermon was, who's in charge? Some of you might remember it. You were here. And he preached from this very passage. And, and Morris said this in that message in 2019. He said, we have never, he said this over and over, we have never seen him this way. We have never seen Jesus this way. We have never seen Jesus this way. Something began that had never happened in his life and he became vulnerable to the will of the Father so powerfully that he felt like he was going to die. And he asked the father three times, is there a way I can get out of this? Is there any other way that the sins of the world could be forgiven without me taking them on? I know your will is so important because he's walked in the will. This is the man, the humanness of Christ expressing this horrific revelation, he's now got the full capacity mentally, emotionally, spiritually to feel this. And it caught him by surprise. Mark 14, verse 33 says this, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John, this is in the King James Version, and he began to be, I love this, it expresses what's going on. He became to be sore amazed. Now this is in King James language, but I think it's so descriptive. He, be, 
he, he was amazed at this. This word sore, you get it. It's very, it's very powerful. It's, it's intense. It's painful, sore. It's, it's, it's all-consuming. He was, he was amazed that this was happening. And he was troubled to the point that he was about to die. He said, my soul's exceedingly sorrowful. Incredibly, Jesus shared his anguish with Peter, James, and John, and he asked them for, the, for his help. This just distur- this disturbed me when I was reading this. And I'm not hard on those guys because I get sleepy. So do you. But he shared this, and they're like, well, this is, this is, you're the son of God. What do you need me to watch? What am I going to watch for? Sometimes when people are going through things when they are sorely amazed and, and devastated by an unexpected thing they've never been through before, sometimes just sitting up with them and watching with them is the best thing you can do. You don't, you don't have the words to say and you can pray the same prayers and you can try to fix their problem, but has anybody ever been through something and you had your closest friends that would just sit with you? And their presence was there. And they were alert for you. And Jesus says, this is so heavy, it's more than I can handle. I feel like I'm dying. I can't even talk about this anymore. I have to go fight alone, but I need you to be awake. Every Christian... Listen to me, everybody. Every Christian has a garden of a Gethsemane experience. If you haven't had it yet, it's coming. When you will have to pour out your heart to Christ and you will make a decision, is it my way or is it God's way? Is it my will or is it the Father's will? This is what the cross is all about. You will take up your cross, deny yourself, and surrender to the will of God. No matter what everybody else is doing around you, they might be sleeping, they might be rebelling, they might be indifferent, but you are alone with God, confronted by the will of God, the purpose of God, and you must come to grips with the will of God and make a decision. That's what the cross is all about. Let me say this to you in this statement. I am crucified with Christ, and there are times when I will be sore amazed at the intensity of my surrender to Christ, but for me to live is Christ, therefore I will surrender to God through the pain that I cannot escape. Through the inescapable pain, my Gethsemane experience means I will get on my face, pour out my soul, I, I, I will do it alone, and I will surrender to the cross because he surrendered to the cross on my behalf. It began, I want you to see this, and it intensified. I don't know if you've ever gone through something like that. It's like, God, if I, if I knew it was going to be this hard, if I'd have known you would ask this of me, and it only intensified. It says he went farther and he fell on his face. And when Jesus thought it was settled, it got worse. In the Gospels, the narratives, you know, you get all these panoramic pictures of what 
how they describe Jesus in the garden and he's on his face then he's on his feet and then he's kneeling down then he's back on the ground then he's crying out this is not something this is not just some pretty little prayer that you've seen in a portrait somewhere or a painting where Jesus is kneeling down in the cross with his hands like this and he's just praying this is ugly this is this there's tears there's there Luke says it got so bad the stress on him on this decision is that he began to hemorrhage we have seen this emotional stuff that happens and manifests physically if you've ever seen somebody in a really bad addiction or their their body has stressed themselves so much and you can see blood vessels in their face or veins it comes it comes to their their capillaries there they are hemorrhaging and sometimes even blood will be not just under the surface but it will ooze out of of sweat glands that's incredible I can't even imagine Jesus went through this and I was reading this again and I know everybody it's family day I know some of your visitors are here but my heart is just so full with this I'm not I'm I'm not trying to be overly dramatic or or you know I just want you to know this bothers me It bothers me that Jesus went through this. I'm horrified at the thought that he's got disciples that he loves that represent us and we would be sleeping through it while he's agonizing and interceding and surrendering his life to take your sin and my sin on his back, stretch out his arms, take spikes in his nails, a spear in his side and cry out on behalf of you and me. And he did it alone. And these, sometimes in our life, if you're going to take up your cross, if you are crucified with Christ, don't be surprised when your battle for surrender intensifies. Because that's who we are. We follow in his steps. And some of you in here, maybe watching online, you might be thinking, when will it ever end? When will it ever end? I don't know. But I know that you should take advantage of every Gethsemane experience and surrender your life to the cross. Stop expecting everybody else to fix your problems and surrender your life to the will of God and say, God, I am your man. I am your son. I am your woman. I am your daughter. I belong to you. I am in you. When you were in the garden, I was in there with you. When you were on the cross, I was there with you. And now I have life. Hebrews 5, 7, yes, Morris is right. We've never seen him like this. It says that in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and tears, loud tears and cries. Listen, there are times, I'm going to say it again, when we think we have surrendered ourselves fully to the cross only to see that our inner battle gets more intense. The line between being a Christ follower and a phony or a fake, that gap is widening. In the days that we live in, there are enemies to his name, enemies of the cross. It's going to take a lot more surrender than you've offered up to this point in the days that are coming. 
And the last thing I want you to see, there was no one to help him. Judas has gone to betray him. The disciples are sleeping. But he did this for you and me. And everybody, I'll just say this. It got so bad that Jesus is agonizing through this, pouring out his soul as he surrendered. This is the surrender to the cross. Some people wonder, and I wonder this with you, what was more difficult for him, Golgotha's experience or the Garden of Gethsemane? The description of what happened in the garden is just as horrific to me as what happened on the cross physically. And I'll say this to you. We're talking about surrendering to the will of the Father when you can't control what you're walking through. No one can surrender to the cross for you. So don't be offended when your friends are asleep when you need them the most. The battle of your surrender has to be fought alone. We are so addicted to everybody fixing us, everybody helping us. But this is a battle that has to be fought alone. Hey, husbands, alone. Wives, alone. Well, I need my husband to do this. I need my wife, if she'll change it, alone. Full of surrender to the Lord, alone. That's what it means to live the crucified life. Jesus suffered on the cross on Friday, but he surrendered to the cross on Thursday. Come on, stand with me, everybody. You know, there's a, in, in, in this story, there, there are two... The two images I have in my mind, there's a, there's a cross and there's a cup, right? And so Jesus is praying, do I have to drink this cup? Now, we live in the world of metaphors. You understand what the cup is about. And Jesus is saying, do I have to drink this? Do I have to really, is this, my, is this required of me? Is this what I have to do? Is there no other way? Three times he surrendered to his will. Before the cross, there's a cup. And everybody, we will talk about the power of the cross and we'll talk about our identification with the cross in the next few weeks that are coming up. But my question to us here is will you drink the cup? You remember in Matthew 20, James and John's mom came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, I mean, actually Jesus saw her and said, what do you want? Because she just probably didn't have the courage to ask. He's like, woman, what do you want? She's like, I, I want to know, can my, son, can my son sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? And interesting um, Jesus said do you know what you're asking they're there and he says are you able to drink the cup that I drink 
They said to him, yeah, we're able, we're able. But then he said to them, you will drink my cup. I underlined in my Bible, my cup. You will drink my cup. There's not a cross without a cup. The cup is, is the sign of surrender. And Jesus is saying, the things that I surrender to, which is God the Father first. My comfort, my ease, my future, my plans second. I drink that cup. He said, you will drink my cup. That cup that, he, that, they, that he's talking about is that they were martyred. They, they died like he did. In the spirit, you know what Jesus is saying is that many people want position, but they won't pay the price. Many people want the blessings, but they run from the battle. It doesn't work that way. This is all about surrender. I wonder if you're ready to just kind of surrender to the will of God. It's Easter week, everybody. I'm trying to encourage us today. Let's get into the garden and let's embrace the cup and surrender our life to the cross and let's let Christ live for us. Lift your hands, let me pray for you right now. If you're in here and you've never get surrendered your life to, to Christ for salvation, you, are, you know that sin is dominating your life and you have not fully surrendered. That's what the cross is all about. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You, you can come and see me afterwards or we'll get a team member down here in the front to pray with you and lead you to Christ. But all of us that are Christians in here, uh, li listen, I, 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 I am, I, I abhor the thought of us having an Easter celebration that is surface and wimpy and fleshy. This is the cross. Listen, before there was a good Friday, there was a surrendered Thursday. Lord, here we are. Not my will, but thine. Can you say it with me, everybody? Not my will, but thine. Forgive us for independent thinking, the unwillingness to pay the price. We gladly take up your cross. When you died, we died. So Lord, today we declare that we are dead men, dead women. And what's left in us that is living is the life of Jesus. Help us to get this revelation down in our spirits, God. Amen. 
If you're glad that Jesus delivered you through the cross, can you just give him an ovation of praise, everybody? Hey, listen, everybody, will you go on this journey with me through these next few weeks? Just go with me on this. Ask the Lord to start speaking to you about the power of the cross. We're going to unlock a lot of the incredible mysteries of the cross and our crucifixion over the next few weeks. And it's a journey. We're kind of starting in Gethsemane, but we're going we're gonna to walk it out. God bless you. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you on Friday night at Good Friday service and then back again on Easter Sunday. Don't forget... 9 and 11 God bless you